Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com with episode 86 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast. In this episode, we are going to discuss the debacle at Virginia Tech, reactions to the loss. If we think Syracuse can turn it around this season, Dino Baber's job security, the biggest problems that Boston College presents as we look ahead to the next game Friday night, how Syracuse goes about beating Boston College, and predictions for that matchup. As always, I am joined by Josh Crawford, Sidney Suple, and Griffin Delapena. The last of the major pro sports leagues kicks off this week, and Bet Online is your top spot for all your NBA action this season. With MLB postseason, NFL and college football, and NHL in full swing, Bet Online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. Get everything NBA at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access for every sport, anytime. Head to Bet Online today to get in on the action. Don't forget to use promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. So, it feels like we're um, in the Groundhog Day movie because it just keeps repeating itself. We are here for the uh, fourth game in a row after a Syracuse blowout loss, this time to Virginia Tech, 38-10. to and this, I think, was the most surprising and most um, baffling one of the four. The other three, you can always, you can excuse losing to Clemson, losing at North Carolina, at Florida State, right? Three of the power programs in the conference, two of which were on the road. But a Virginia Tech team that came in with a losing record, even though they had been playing better in their last three games, you still didn't expect to lose that way. It's one thing if you lose 27-21, it's a competitive game, and you say, yeah, it stinks to lose, but you feel like you did some positive things. There's not much positive to take away from this, to be honest with you, but um, we'll just go around the room and get your reactions to whatever that was that they put on film Thursday night at Virginia Tech. Josh, I'm going to go to you as the former Division I uh, football player. I won't say athlete because we have another one with us and Sydney played uh, softball at, at Northwestern big 10 champs as well when she was there. So, um, but Josh, just watching this game, what was your reaction as, as you're seeing it all unfold? Hey, first of all, we got to get the tree. We got to throw in my boy, GDP too, a, a, a division yeah. one athlete oh. participant as well. You feel what I'm saying? His body didn't hold out, but we know that he was a star in his own right. All but, three um, better than me is the main point here. As I was I have an intramurals. I was an NAIA intramural superstar. That's my <laughs> claim to fame. So anyway, well, no. As my uh, as my esteemed panel would know, and you know that Virginia Tech in no way, shape, or form is for 
touchdowns more talent than Syracuse. We're going to get into it a little bit later, but when you have an outcome like that, and we have a first half like that more, more specifically, that's um, it's, it's less indicative of the talent gap and what the, the, what the guys on the field are actually doing to you know win and more about what the staff and the position they're putting those guys in to win. And I think that you saw a team that after an extended break that should have the knowledge of what the back half of this season means and that that game in particular with it being a primetime game, with that being a, a team that you, you would think you were equally yoked with in terms of being in the, the middle of the ACC pack. And um, they just came out completely flat. Completely, and more importantly, completely un- unprepared to see anything that Virginia Tech was going to do to them, and what Virginia Tech, what Virginia Tech had going on on offense, offensive side of the ball. So what we saw, what we saw on tape was a team that was completely unprepared to play that had more than enough time to come prepared to play. And I think that, like I said, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But that we're, we we had to start shifting the focus from what um the lack of recruiting or the lack of talent that we have on the field and wonder about some more macro decisions about why are these guys performing to this un- underperforming to this level and what way can that be rectified as quick as possible so i'm not going to rant on it but yeah that's it's it's going way beyond, it's going a lot further than what the guys on the field aren't doing yeah and you know that was you, you hit on it right there how how important this game and you know the back end of the schedule is for the season that was the the biggest thing to me is they didn't come out with a sense of urgency, right? And given how much of a swing game this had the potential to be, you win this game, you sort of put the the three losses in your rearview mirror and feel like you've turned things around and and you can attack the back end of the schedule with the last uh you know, four games here, three, four games to to really feel like um, you know, you can still have a pretty good season. And when you come out with off of a bye, mind you back-to-back penalties on your first two plays. I mean, we know penalties have been an issue. They didn't end up with a god-awful amount of penalties in this game, but it seemed like the first two or three possessions, every one of them, they would have a penalty that would put themselves behind the eight ball. And instead of having, you know, a second and nine or second and eight, you've got a first and 20 or second and 15. And for an offense that's already struggling, you put yourself in, in that much worse of a situation. So, and, you know, Eric Dungy said on the, on the post game show that it looked like the team quit. There wasn't energy and effort out there. And I don't want to question the effort of these guys. Right. Cause I think they're all out there trying, you know, I I don't think they're just going out there and like, whatever, I don't care what happens. I think they want to win. I think they're trying, but it just didn't seem like they were playing with the level of determination, urgency, desperation that I thought we'd see following three straight blowout losses with a bye to reset themselves. Griffin, what was your reaction to the loss? I just think it was embarrassing, like, to lose in that fashion. And honestly, I I was the one also kind of sipping on the Kool-Aid a little bit, being in the building and all the guys talking about on Tuesday how they were ready to go coming off this bye week that they they were ready to go. They were rejuvenated, not just mentally, but physically. And then to go out there, like you mentioned, in the first half and just lay an egg. It is just hard to watch and to see the hopes of being a 4-0 team and you knew that you were going to go into this really difficult stretch, but there was light at the end of the tunnel. It was going to be the end of this season. And specifically, after coming off a bye week, you're expecting your best of the best in a very tough environment against Virginia Tech, and we just didn't see that. And I just can't validate, especially against Virginia Tech, allowing 318 yards on the ground. 
that's just despicable. Like, that's just literally when I saw that number at the end of the game, I knew that they were running all over, but I saw 318, and it kind of made me, like, want to vomit. Like, there's no way that that should happen if you're Syracuse. And it's it just puts a sour taste in everybody's mouth because all season long, all we've heard in press conferences is, you know, last year was last year. It's behind us. We learned from it. But it's having these same similar type of feeling games where you started the season hot, and when it comes to conference play, they're not rising to the occasion, and, and it's just difficult to see. Yeah, and, you know, the rejuvenation point, you literally wrote an article, I think, the day before the game that we posted that said yeah, Syracuse feeling rejuvenated after after the bye week. And after the game was over, I can't tell you how many people went back and found the tweet with the linked article and said, well, this aged well, you know, that, that type of thing. And uh, I said, well, you know, let's, let's be fair. We're quoting the players. Okay. So we're not making this up on our own, but it's, it's very easy to, you know, say the right things from the player's perspective in the, in those situations, right? You're talking to the media, it's people you see every week. Then it is, I think to, once you get to game day, mentally turning it around and not having a couple of things go the other team's way, go against you early on and think, same old, same old, here we go again. Sydney, what was your reaction to the loss? I mean, I will say that was probably the hardest one I've had to watch all year. Just because, you know, what everyone's saying, I felt like they felt like they were at their strongest. And the vibe I got from a lot of the guys in the post game is that I felt like they were equally as surprised, not only in how they played, but in what they saw, which I think that's what kind of concerns me is the fact that they didn't expect to see that heavy of a run game. They didn't ex- expect to see them work along the sidelines, expect it more up the middle. So it's like, at some point, why are we coming into things so surprised at this part of the season? You know, where do we need to be better? Josh said the best thing, like off the field, because at the end of the day, these guys are talented. We're not going to take that away from them. And I hated the quote that you related to that. They're not giving effort because nobody wants to put themselves out on any field in any sport and not try their very best. Like not only do they have their university on the front of their chest, but they have their name on the back. And for that respect in its own, like they're always going to be giving a hundred percent. And I think what you saw was a very, not defeated, but a very frustrated team. In the first quarter alone, you know, they go three and out four times. And then you have Virginia Tech who finds a way to score every time. And you start to see players kicking chairs on the sidelines. And like this kind of you start to see this break for the first time, I feel like, where you could really tell that this game was starting to get to them. And that's something that concerns me. And, you know, Griffin threw up one gross number, but I think the two that really stood out to me is the fact that 0-9 on third downs, terrible, absolutely unacceptable. And the other one is like in my brain right now. I'm trying to even think of it. Zero rushing yards? Yes, thank you. Zero rushing yards. I literally had to look at my computer after the game and think if I read that right. I did the same thing. I I went to four different places where they have box scores to make sure that they all said that because I didn't believe it. I, I mean, that is just inexcusable when you have somebody like with Quentin Allen and you have somebody like Garrett Trader. It's just, it's not okay. No, it it's it's not. And, you know, the, the embarrassing word that uh, Griffin used earlier was what I saw the most from former players and fans and 
um, alums and all of that on social media as that game was going on. But the the fact that this game went the way it did brings up the other thing that I saw very frequently discussed on social media, which is the job security of Dino Babers. How hot is his seat? And do you think that he should uh, be let go as it stands right now? If you're John Wildack, do you let him go after that performance? Do you let the rest of the season plays out, uh, play out? How how do you see things? We'll go right back to you, Sydney. I believe you have to let the rest of the season play out. Now, I think if for some reason this team walks away without a bowl game, I think you got to make some hard choices. And, you know, I have a ton of respect for Coach Babers. I think he's a, a good coach, but at some point, you know, this is a power five school and there's a lot at stake, not only, you know, business wise, but just how you're representing your university. And there's too much talent on this team to be underperforming, which is how it's felt lately. And I think these next four games are going to determine if he stays or not. Griffin. Uh, You look at coach Baber's tenure in general, and it has been sort of this middle ground season after season, ACC play you're never really seeing that jump that fans and even what the program expects at this point to be above 500 in conference play and I personally don't think that John Wildhack is going to make that decision at the end of the year to let him go and one of the reasons why and it came out today of why I don't think he's going to let coach Babers go and it's because of this next year Syracuse plays Ohio Army Holy Cross UConn And then their ACC games are Virginia Tech, Miami, Stanford, Georgia Tech, Pittsburgh, Boston College, NC State, and Cale. That is one of the easiest schedules I've heard in a very long time for this school. So if you let Coach Babers go right now, you bring somebody else in, are they going to maybe underperform or or is that going to be maybe a selling point for Coach Dino Babers and crew saying, hey, yes, I know that this year things didn't really go our way, but you look at next year's schedule, it's looking pretty good, and that could maybe be the last resort, the last chance for him to prove himself. When I saw that schedule today, I was like, man, there's no way that Coach Babers lets this slide through with this golden opportunity to try to prove himself next year with how easy that schedule is. Well, you know what's funny about that schedule is the the team in 2018 – that won 10 games, if they played that schedule, they're undefeated in the playoffs or in the ACC championship game. I should say that that team wouldn't have lost to any of those teams, maybe Miami, but you get Miami in the dome. Um, So, it, and then even last year's team, you feel like if, if they didn't have, you know, the, having to go play at Clemson and they got several players hurt and didn't really recover. If instead of playing at Clemson, you're playing at, Stanford or you know some something along those lines you know maybe it turns out a little different so it is a very very favorable schedule but at the same time who knows if Georgia Tech doesn't take a big leap next year um you know maybe Stanford has has played in some competitive games against better teams this year maybe they take a leap next year who who knows a, a lot of things but no Clemson and no Florida State I think D- Dino Babers would give thumbs up uh, to to having that play next year if he does stick around josh your thoughts on dino baber's job security um i ain't gonna tiptoe around it i I think there should be no lack 
there should, there should be no security for your job. And we're talking about the temperature of his heat should be scalded. Um, responding to your point, Griffin, about, you know, the ease of the schedule. Um, we said that this year. We even all three of us made records, uh, season predictions. Um, and we all, all – while we didn't all come to agree, you know, Sydney was a little, the most optimistic out of us. But we all saw that this team had, you know, only three to four games where they shouldn't be favoring. So I don't want to hear that excuse – not from you personally, but I don't want that to be an excuse – uh, to continue uh, Babers' tenure when we looked at this schedule this year in the preseason and saw it as a rather easy schedule as well. So I don't want to give him another season of underperforming on a schedule where, we, again, we should be going and expecting eight or nine wins. Um, talking about what you and Sid said about the rushing thing, um, we, uh, us being at, and I open the floor up to y'all, we have high-performing coaches. I think we all can uh, say that those coaches unlock a certain amount of you know, that 105% intensity and effort, 110% effort, stuff that that's not going to be on the base level of what you're getting just from a regular run-of-the-mill coach. And like Griffin said, when you look at the amount of rushing yards that Virginia Tech had on us, that's not something that Virginia Tech was good at going into this game. They were decidedly average in the rushing attack. Um, going in, I think they averaged like 140, something like that on the ground. Like They were averaging less than four yards a carry coming in. I mean, decidedly middle of the pack. So when something like that happens to you as a team, that, that's something that's not a decided strength for that team, that is indicative of, A, the confidence level that those guys are playing with under that scheme, whether it be Babers, whether it be Rocky Long, whoever it is, they are not confident in their ability to have to have an identity on defense. And that just, again, that shows that lack of, of preparation um, from that, that staff, on my opinion. So, but also looking at, um, and I like what you said too, Griffin, about some of the decision-making from Wild Hack, I'll lean the other way. Um, John Wildhack was an executive at ESPN. So we know that Thursday night game was a primetime game for ESPN. And he, as AD, should know more than any more than some ADs at the position that haven't, haven't had that position. A, how few shots of the apple that SU is gonna get in terms of primetime games with that amount of eyeballs, and also what the how how uh damaging a performance like that can be in terms of getting you those those particular eyeballs on you going forward. So if we had been like like a like Dabo said, if we had been on CW and taking that a, a, a beating like that, we would still we still the anger could be just as warranted. But I feel like the future impact could have been twenty five to thirty percent less. But when you get beat down in that time slot on that network, all the stuff we talked about coming after a buy, there's just no there's no reason for um there's no reason for that. There's no reason that a this university doesn't have the money to buy dental Babers out of his contract and b. Honestly, outside of that 2018 season and that Clemson win, what has he done to ensure that he he what has he done to prove to us that he's a guy that can handle this job? This is a guy that came from Bowling Green. This was a, a big step up in terms of you know responsibility and confidence level for him. And like I said, I know these things aren't pretty. They are nasty. Trust me, as a Memphis basketball fan, I've gone through two very degrees with this with Josh Josh Passing and John Calipari. But when it's time, it's time. And I think that a performance like that is a bigger indicator and bigger answer to the question of whether it's time than anything anybody can say in the press conference. I'll, I'll say, I'll add a couple of things to that. Um, one, I don't think John Wildhack wants to fire Dino Babers. I think he wants Dino Babers to be his head football coach. He likes Dino and um, thinks very highly of him. And I don't think he wants to make that decision. That's number one. Number two, I don't think, I'm not saying it isn't because it very well, 
could be, but I don't think your schedule next season should, should dictate whether or not you keep Dino Babers. If you think that it's in your football program's best interest to move on from him, then you should move on from him. And the schedule next season should be an attractive part of getting a new coach. Hey, you can come in here and we have a very favorable schedule for you. And, and so maybe that's part of your, your pitch to try to lure someone to your school. Um, that said, if they are able to turn it around and get to a bowl game, here's the things that it will do. It'll be the first time they've been to back-to-back bowl games in a decade. And if they end up getting to seven regular season wins, which I know seems crazy right now, winning three of your last four games, but again, looking at who they're playing against, they got some teams that have some own their own issues, Pittsburgh most notably with what is going on with their head coach. And that would be the first time in about 20 years where they would have had back-to-back winning regular seasons. So as it stands right now, Josh is absolutely right. What has Dino accomplished outside of 2018? Not a ton. If they get to seven wins this year, those are the things that he will have accomplished. And that would be his argument back to John Wildack to stay. Um, Griffin, you're, you had uh, some thoughts you wanted to add. Yeah. I think your point about, the easy schedule next year and all of Josh's points completely warranted. I think that would be one of the only true selling points that you could give to a potential other coach, because I mean, we can't sugarcoat it. Like this is one of the hardest jobs in power five football. Not everybody in the world is jumping for joy to come here because it's difficult to recruit. It's in a very good competitive conference that continues to add teams as we see right now. Like it's it's a hard job for somebody like John Wildhack to come in here and to get somebody to the caliber of Dino Babers or better to take this job. Sometimes you just have to stick to your guns, and I think that's what Wildhack would probably do in that scenario. I think that's definitely what he wants to do for sure. Uh, but if you you know the national television thing, they've been on national television four weeks in a row, and they've been blown out four weeks in a row, and they got another national televised game coming up Friday night against Boston College. So. Um, if you get blown out for a fifth time in a row on national television, is that is there too much pressure then from outside forces to force John Wildak's hand? That will be interesting to see. But I think we all hope that we don't have to worry about that because Syracuse comes out, turns around, and wins the game. So let's focus on that. Two things for everybody. The biggest problem that Boston College uh, presents to Syracuse, and what does Syracuse have to do to beat them? We'll go to you, Sydney. I mean, I know everyone's going to get into kind of the statistics of Boston College, but I'm just going to focus on the momentum. You know, they're coming off a four-game win streak, and we're coming off a four-game losing streak. And that in itself, you take away all, like, the physical things and just, like, the mental and the emotion, emotional side of winning four games, especially when they were two huge underdogs in their most recent ones with Georgia Tech. And I'm trying to think of the other one. But it's like they were underdogs, and they found a way to win. And, you know, I've been listening into their coach and just his press conference even earlier this week. Like, he has his team hyped up. They turned the music all the way up to the point where the players are saying they couldn't even hear themselves because, in his mind, he feels like the Dome is going to be the craziest atmosphere. He also said it was Syracuse's homecoming week, which was very wrong. And it's just basically wanting them to come in looking at this as kind of like their Super Bowl and this is a program that has been had a bowl game about 30 times in program history. So 
I just think from a momentum standpoint, that's what makes me nervous, taking away all the physical attributes. But from Syracuse, if they have to do anything, it's they have to figure out their offense. Um, quite frankly, I'm not too worried about their defense. I think their defense showed the biggest weakness last week. But I think with the strong leaders that they have in terms of Marla Wax and other players, I think they're going to get right back on cue with Coach Long. I'm just more concerned about the offense. We've seen 20 points in this last month, and that's just never going to cut it. So they need to find a way to get their run game going, have Schrader connect more, and just get that going. Not going to win a lot of games you're averaging five points a game. I'm just, nope. just saying. But to your point, so Griffin mentioned the ugly number earlier, 300-plus rushing yards that he allowed. Boston College runs the ball 60% of the time. They've rushed for over 1,700 yards this year. They're they're a very good physical running team. So um, you want to make a statement that last week was a fluke, you get a golden opportunity right now. Josh, uh, your thoughts on the matchup with Boston College and, and how Syracuse uh, beats them on Friday night? I mean, I, I'm not trying to sound like Stephen A. Smith, but we talk about what we just see from this team and how they can be beat. It, it, anything can be beat, can beat them. A team that was decidedly average in the run game just put over 300 rushing yards on them. So it doesn't seem to be there needs to be a lot of um, in-depth schematics or a particular strength that um needs to happen for BBC in order to beat us. The the one thing that I will say is I don't know about the health of Thomas uh, Castellanos. I think I said that right. So I think that in terms of being their most Castellanos. Castellanos. I went to I had a homie named uh, shout out to homie Nick Nick Castellanos. But anyways, <laughs> that them being that being their most dynamic offensive weapon that should theoretically put a very big dent or if, even him not being out not being a hundred percent with the quarterback that we have, we see how big of an effect that that has on the offense and its continuity. So that should be, um, that should be a decent amount of help to us. But um, yeah, I'm just, I'm not in a very positive place with this, uh, this issue football team right now. And I think that despite um, BC not having really a lot of identifiable strengths, they run the ball a lot. They're not super efficient with it, but with the team, the way that this team is playing and the momentum, the lack thereof that we have and the momentum that this BC program does have that Sydney mentions, I, I can see a lot of ways that this BC team could uh, pull a rabbit out of her, their hat for the first time and and really put a lot more pressure on us uh, to win these last three games. So I like I said, that's that is my uh, that's that's what I think that BC can do to us. And um, yeah, it's, it's it's not looking great for us. I'm not gonna lie. No, and and back to Sydney's point, it, it doesn't matter how good the defense plays if you're if the offense is is gonna look like it has for the last four to five five weeks. It really doesn't matter. BC doesn't really have to do much offensively. They can just sort of, you know, be extremely conservative, run the ball every single play so they don't turn it over and probably win the game 10 to three if Syracuse's offense doesn't show significant improvement. Griffin, uh, your thoughts on the matchup with BC and how Syracuse wins it? I like Sydney's point a lot about the momentum coming in for BC on a four game win streak, but they've played Army and UConn and beat them by a combined 10 points. And in those four games, you beat UVA by three, Army, like I said, by three. A nice blowout win against Georgia Tech. Can't take anything away from that. And then you just only beat UConn by seven. So it's not like – And those aren't good football good, teams. No, like they're not good teams. And UConn I, I is really, awful. They're one and seven. Yeah, disgustingly bad. I, I just think Syracuse and Boston College are – virtually at this point in time in that same whatever category in the ACC pyramid we want to put them in. They're the bottom. same team. You they mean, both you stink. Mean, you mean they Griffin. both stink. Yeah, we can put them there. They both we stink. We can put them at the bottom. <laughs> I was going to maybe say the second tier, but we can say bottom. 
Regardless, this is an opportunity for you to play a competitive football game. No more getting blown out like you have the last four weeks. You need to keep this game close. And by doing that, your offense needs to actually move the ball down the field. Because all we've seen the last four weeks is time after time again, the defense has been put in horrendous situations where they are pinned. They only have to go, the opposition only has to go 40 yards down the field to score. We've seen that so many times. Jack Stonehouse has seven yards between the long snapper and the end zone. I mean, I could probably count more than a dozen times over the last four weeks. Like, you just have to be able to sustain a drive. And it's so weird to see the offense from the first four weeks to the season and how it's a completely 180-degree difference than what it is right now. Like you said, Mike, this Boston College team is run-heavy. They average more rushing yards and passing yards per game at like 215 per game. If we saw last week 300-plus yards on Virginia Tech, I'm a little weary about what this run defense can do for Syracuse against a, a pretty good running team in Boston College. So I think that BC is going to be running the football extensively, especially early. Yeah, so um, I think you – you hit on something there. It is legal for you to move the ball offensively. Is this, is this true? So I would like to hope I, so. Um, let's take note of that and say, we need to get a pass a note onto the Syracuse football team. So they know this going into this game. Um, listen, it, it's the, the path for Syracuse to win is not complicated. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, Boston college has turned the ball over in six, six of their eight games, at least once. The only games they did not turn it over were against Holy Cross, another bad football team, FCS-level football team that they only beat by three points, and against Louisville on the road, where they actually played them pretty tough for a little while. Louisville's a good team, um, so that was a, a solid performance, but they didn't turn it over in that game either. The key to me is how Syracuse controls the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, or doesn't. Uh, they have been completely dominated the line of scrimmage in the last four games, and I'm not saying that they have to dominate the line of scrimmage. They just can't be embarrassed on it. That means being able to run the football offensively and stopping the run defensively. This is all very basic stuff, right? Win the turnover battle, control the line of scrimmage. You hear every coach ever when they say, what's the key to victory? And they say those things. That's all true. But I think Garrett Schrader has to make better decisions with the football. He can't turn the ball over. And Syracuse has to figure out some sort of spark on offense in order to get this thing turned around. So we'll, we will get out of here on this. Let's do predictions real quick from everyone, a score prediction on who wins. We'll go right back to you, Griffin. Um, obviously, I know Josh watched the Jets-Giants game this past week. I think it's going to be the college football version this upcoming week between Syracuse and Boston College. Does that mean Tommy DeVito is going to start for Syracuse? That'd be kind of cool. Regardless, I see a very ugly, low-scoring game, and Syracuse comes out on top. I still believe in him. I want to. I, I just I don't like being negative in general, but I also think that there still is hope for this season in the final four games. And what better opportunity than this game at home? You haven't been home in a while against a team, like I just said, is a carbon copy of what you are right now, too. Gosh. Um, I'll give a, a dual whammy. I actually kind of was hinting towards kind of what Griffin was saying in terms of not being super clean on the offensive side of the ball. Um, 
but yeah, as as down I am, as down as I am on this team right now, I I just do think that um they're more talented than uh BC and uh, like we said that about Virginia Tech, but I think that the the talent gap being a little bit farther than them and Virginia Tech and also them I hopefully understanding the severity of it, I'll give them um I'll give them a twenty to fourteen victory, but I will on the back end of that I will predict if they lose this game, they will not win another game the rest of the season. This should be the easiest game that they have so far. All three quarterbacks that they will be playing afterwards will be a lot more talented. If they lose this game, I think they uh, they're the the potential of not getting the five wins and potentially losing the head coach too. Sydney. Well, mine's a little more positive than that. I do believe the score will be similar though. What Josh said, I was I've been thinking twenty one seventeen. I think it's gonna be low scoring. I do believe Syracuse will come out on top. I could see them having a slow start offensively. It's been a theme lately, but I really think they're going to start to kick it in gear in the second half. I just think being at home is what they need right now. I have a theory. I'm going to use the same theory that I use with the Philadelphia Eagles and my fandom of them, which is their only chance is if I give up on them. So this happens every single week with the Philadelphia Eagles in the first quarter, they do something stupid. And I say, this team is terrible. They have no chance of winning. And then they come back and win. So in that vein, I am going to see if me predicting that Syracuse will play well is the real problem here. And I'm going to predict Boston college wins 23 to 10. And if that is what, if that is what turns it around for Syracuse, you're welcome, Orange fans. But that'll do it for this week's episode of the Believe in Syracuse podcast. For Griffin, Josh, and Sydney, I'm Mike McAllister, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.